Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, we're in week two of our three-part series on incredible, unsung, new wave slash power pop, however you want to describe them, bands of that barely pre-MTV era around 1977 to 1981. Also, all of these bands are from the northeastern United States, including this week's guest, Richard Bush, lead singer of the Philadelphia band The A's. Now, The A's, like a lot of the bands we talked to, were very big regionally. They were a big draw, they were getting a lot of success, and they were discovered by Clive Davis at Arista. And they put out two albums. The first one was their self-titled debut in 1979. That album included the song you're listening to here, After Last Night, which is pretty much their signature song. In 1981 was their second album, A Woman's Got the Power. It was a lot slicker, but it's equally as good. Those two albums are incredible. And of course, they just weren't successful enough and they got dropped. And that was basically the end of the A's for a long time. And forever. Years and years and years and years go by and Richard eventually decides that he wants to get back into some music and he starts a new band called the Peace Creeps who are more of a psychedelic rock band. Also very very good. So that's what he's been doing ever since. Although all along he's never fully been able to pay his bills through music. He's done other jobs and stuff like that. But he is out there. If you've never heard of these guys, get on YouTube and watch some old videos. There's lots of clips. And Richard is one of the most charismatic frontmen I have ever seen. He completely has it. Whatever it is, he has it. And it's kind of surprising to listen to him talk because he's actually a pretty shy, soft-spoken, reserved guy. I, I was surprised by that. But he's an incredible musician. Also, I gotta say, this was a listener request. Huge thank you to Steve Poshman, who asked me to track down somebody from the A's months ago, and I wasn't having any luck until I finally was able to connect up with Richard recently and get him on the show. He is a super sweet man. I loved him a lot. He called me from his home in Philly. So first of all, obviously, thank you for doing this. And I got to tell you, as I mentioned a second ago, I've been watching so many videos of you lately, and I've noticed that in the older ones, nobody quite works a stick of chewing gum quite like you and <laughs> i don't know of another front man who works that gum like you do there's this interview clip i'm sure you're familiar with old gray whistle test some british oh, lady yeah, who yeah, doesn't yeah. even know who you are is interviewing you and you're just working it all the other even live clips that i'm seeing it's still there. I So this is probably a really dumb question, but are you just a gum chewer? Was that sort of part of your posture? Do, am I way overthinking well, this? Well, I, I uh, actually, I used to do it just to keep my throat, like, wet. I thought it would help. Got it. You know, okay. and uh, I used to chew Trident, and, uh, but I, I haven't done it for years. Okay. And I, and I actually I used to use it in my shtick, especially when we were, like, still in the in the clubs. You know, we were more punky uh, originally. Uh -huh. You know, sometimes I would, like, you know, throw it on the floor and step on it and pull it off of my shoe and chew it there again. And cool. That's part of the part of the routine. I like that. Okay. I noticed that on so many of the older clips, not the newer ones, but the old ones, and I thought, right, i right. got to ask. Also, i got to ask you the other question you've been asked, I'm sure, a billion times in your life. Is Richard Bush your real name? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Because I saw it listed as... Dick Bush once or twice. No, no. 
Okay, I didn't know if that was you trying to be provocative or, you know, you're no. coming up through somewhat of the punk genre. Okay, all right, just curious. Well, it's been really interesting. There are two cities in America that garner the most reaction when I have a guest on from them, and one is Cleveland and the other is Philly. And the only Philly guest I've had has been Eric Brazilian of the Hooters, who you know very mm-hmm. well. He and I talked yes. last fall. It was one of the – I love him. It was the highlight of my life. But it, it's so many people started coming out of the woodwork from Philly saying, you got to talk to Richard Bush, you got to talk to Tommy Conwell, right, all these right. Philadelphians. And so I'm just curious. I mean, you know, in researching you, I've been reading all of these articles, but they're all – Fortunately or unfortunately, there are a lot of local media. Did the A's, we'll start with the A's and we'll go to the Peace Creeps, who I like a okay. lot too. How, how big outside of Philly did you ever get? I don't even know. I, I, didn't, I don't remember it very well, you know? Um, well, we toured up and down the East Coast. We went uh, into Canada a couple of times. We actually, um, I think Women's Got the Power got to like number 14 or something like that in uh Toronto. Anyway, we played there oh, a couple nice. of times. We only went as west as far as like Chicago. We never made it to the West Coast. The first record really didn't, you know, didn't do a whole lot. The second record started to take off with just like word of mouth from disc jockeys. We, we mm-hmm. the record company had sort of lost faith in us, and um, they just like released the record without any real promotion, but it it did get to like it got pretty high on the album airplay charts. Never really translated into sales for whatever reason. But by the time that Aristip thought, oh maybe we should back this, it was kind of like too late. What's the A's signature hit? Is after last uh, night? Is that the one you would close most shows with? What got yeah, the most we would always play? close uh, with after last night. But our, okay. our you know our biggest hit was uh, Woman's Got the Power. When a man lays his cards on the table Trying to make a name, looking for a miracle Looking for something that he does not know Walking the streets and there's nowhere to go Either of those actually enter like the Hot 100 or anything like that? I think Woman got to like I don't know if it got like just on the on the 100 or if it was just like just under. I can't remember to tell you the truth. But okay. we never, you know, never really translated into you know um, sales outside of the area really. You know, when I I listen to a band like yours and I've been buy I've bought up all the stuff I can find on iTunes and everything lately and it's just so good and I just think what's wrong with people you know like what more what more do you want <laughs> when there's a band like the A's that give you two perfect pop new wave whatever you want to call it albums what what more do people want can you think when you look back on your career I mean can you think of a reason why something maybe didn't translate outside 
of the Northeast? I mean, was that no? You know you what? We care. I, really can't. What, I think what, maybe what the maybe the second album was a little esoteric. You know, it wasn't quite as like you know one dimensional as some things kind of need to be. first album was pretty, you know, um, you know, narrow in focus, and you know, I think that was pretty self-explanatory. But I think the second one was a little more esoteric. Really? See, I think there. I mean, I was young. I'm 43. You know, in the late 70s, I was too young to really know what was going on. I, you're a band I would have discovered long after the fact. But when you listen to all those other bands like Cars and Cheap Trick and whoever else, Greg Kinn and all those other kind of straddling the line between, you know, new wave and power pop and punk and whatever. It's right in there. It's better than a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I think we had really strong songwriting. Uh, Totally. Rock Monati, the keyboard player is, you know, majorly responsible for that. We wrote together, but he did the lion's share of uh, the writing. And I thought they were, you know, really, you know, I thought they all had hooks. I thought they were all, you know, smart yeah. songs, you know, melodic. You know, I thought the band was all really good players. Yeah, amazing. I haven't memorized everyone's name, but like I've said, I've been watching your so many clips, so many old... For a band that only had two albums that were obscure and were mostly a regional hit, there is more content on YouTube of you from like the last... 35, 40 years than any band I can think of with, you know, it's amazing. You must have this giant local fan base that continues to love and support you. Well, I think that's great. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure. You know, I think that, uh, you know, every night I go out, I really try to, you know, give a show, you know, give my best, my best uh, performance. And, you know, I try not to repeat myself, you know, I try to be in the moment and sure. but like, you know, give people their money's worth. So I think that's might be why some people are like filming me with their phones and things like that. So we were talking about genre and the listener who asked me specifically to track you down, his name is Steve Poshman. I hope I'm saying okay. his last name right. And he had one of the questions that he had asked me to ask you was in relation to the genre how would you view yourselves? I know for a lot of artists, and I say artists specifically as opposed to bands, artists don't want to define themselves most of the time. They want to roam freely doing whatever they feel is true to them. So maybe that, is, maybe that feels like too confining of a question, but 
in those days, it was this cross-section of these new genres that were bubbling under the surface. How did you view the A's, or did you? I don't know that I really viewed them, you know, the way I do now. I think, you know, at the time, we just thought we were, like, tough guys. Yeah. It was almost like a gang, and we were, you know, we thought we were really good, and we were pretty cocky, and, um, yeah. you know, I we just... Uh, you especially. <laughs> we just you kind of rode that. Now, in, in retrospect, I'm really, I'm not, not sure. I think, I think the, the, where Arista really missed the boat with us was mm-hmm. we were, like, around at the dawn of MTV, and we were, mm-hmm. like, made for TV. You're absolutely you know, everybody were. in the band had a distinct personality that was really easy to get in, like, 30 seconds, kind of. Yep. MTV would have loved us. You're at where I was going. Was there, I mean, so the second album comes out in 81. MTV's just starting to happen. I know some videos were sort of made before that, but probably for bigger names. Was there ever any real talk with Arista before or after that second album where it was like, let's start thinking about a video or? No, we really tried to push for it on on the first record. They were just, like, I remember reading in Billboard, like, they had, like, pages of, like, all these record executives, and there was only one person who didn't think that MTV was a valuable tool, and that was Clive Davis, who was... Oh! And and was just like, what? (laughs) I have written down here, do you have any good Clive Davis stories? Because his name comes up a lot. And it's almost always something like that. It's always, and you know, I'm not to take anything away from him. He's a music mogul, and obviously he's oh, got right. golden yeah. ears sometimes, and all that kind of stuff for sure. But I've talked to a half a dozen people probably. Clive came to see them and didn't get it, or wanted them to be something other than what they were, or didn't believe in the third album or the second single or whatever, and kind of put a stop to everything. He was not a fan of videos off the bat, and you feel like that's what sort of stifled Yeah, your... I, I really think our career would have been entirely different had we been on MTV. He's a curious figure, you know? So many things he's done right, so many things it feels like he's gotten wrong. If you look back at that time period, you'll see that Aristotle never broke a rock act at all. They, they really? Who else was on Aristotle? I, I don't even remember, like, who the other rock bands were. I know they had the Kinks, and, you know, the Kinks had yeah, a kind of record played. and things mm-hmm. like that, and, you know, they were able to, like, get some, some mileage out of that, but they never really broke a new rock act. They were, like, they were very successful in, like, R&B and things like that, mm-hmm. but not in rock at all. Yeah, it does seem that way. Did you mention earlier that you never played West? You never played, like, the West no, Coast? No, uh, we didn't. Never? Why? Just Arista never put the finances yeah, I guess, I together guess that, to get yeah, it over there? I'm sure that that was what it was, yeah. But I, I do know that we had fans in Mexico. I just found uh, somebody really? just brought me a, a, a Mexican copy of uh, the first, I think it was, no, no it was the second album. It was uh, Moon's uh-huh. Got the Power. And it's, you know, it's all in Spanish, you know, the liner notes or the, the, the back. It, it was like, what? This, I never even that knew crazy. it existed. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys never played London or the or Europe or the UK? No, or, uh-uh. no none of those. That's nuts because obviously you guys, the influence is there from the British, British oh, invasion, yeah. Yeah. the, you know, the 
everything, the punk and post-punk that's going on over there, it's such your niche, and yet they couldn't just toss you over there for some shows where it would have made so much sense, you know? Yeah, I, I would have loved to have, you know, gone overseas and played. They just weren't putting up the money. Were you ever opening for any bigger acts around that time, or were you mostly kind of doing your own headlining in smaller clubs and venues? Oh, we we opened for everyone. You did? <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we opened for the Ramones I don't yes. know how many times, like maybe okay. 30 times. And the Ramones are a hard band to open for because yeah, they're very imagine. singular, you know, and there's mm-hmm. like kind of no one else in that category. You know, it was, it was a little rough like the first few times we did it, but then we figured out, hey, we just came out and said, hey, you know why we're opening for the Ramones? Because we're their favorite band, <laughs> which totally wasn't true, but then they liked us. Oh, <laughs> uh, you got to say that. That's great. So wow, did you become Peter friendly Tosh. with them? We opened for the Peter King. Tosh? Yeah, we opened for everyone. I'm not kidding you. We opened oh. for Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. I heard one about night. that. Yeah. And when, yeah, it was just like this crazy thing. We had another show already like later that night, and they asked us if we could do like 25 minutes because somebody canceled. And uh, we said, yeah, sure. So we did it, and like the first song, people were like, booing us. Second song, they were like standing up, giving us the finger, you know, and they started throwing things at us. Oh, and by man. the end of the set, they had run out of things to throw and they were like actually taking the seats apart and throwing like oh, big slabs of metal at us. It was like <laughs> oh, pretty crazy. Man. Come on. Oh, man. Wow. But I felt, I felt totally charmed. I knew that nothing was going to touch me. Sure. I, just, I don't know how I knew it, but you know, I Nothing well, didn't touch me. Nothing ever touched me. But I would look back at Mikey, our drummer, who was a stationary target, and I would just see him like playing the drums and like ducking while things are coming at him. Yeah. I just know that uh, we hit the last note on after last night to close the show, and uh-huh. you know I turned around, you know, to see how Mikey was, and he was already gone. The cymbals were still like waving, but he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I mean, you you talk about this confidence of feeling like nothing's going to happen to you. You've got so much swagger. I, it doesn't surprise me that you feel that way. I mean, you're one of the most charismatic front men I've ever seen, and having never seen you live, it's kind of amazing to watch these old clips. And there's so many for me from, like, 1980. You know, there's stuff online that you can watch from the early, early days. And you are yeah, just, I know everyone you, you were born for it, right? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I you know I love it. It's kind of easy for me to do it. You know, I just kind of step up there, and that's my world. So this may this may sound like a weird question, okay? But you've got so much moxie as a, as a front man, and more moxie than unfortunately you have had success. In, does that? I don't mean to sound, you know, harsh or whatever, but the A's should have been bigger and they weren't, and yet you come off like the world's biggest rock star. You know, you can command a crowd no matter the size. Yeah, well, I, I wonder just do, do what I do. You know, I, and well, uh, but me, it's not like a sure. You know, uh, um, measure of your, like you know, it's I do. I don't feel I need to be justified in order to do that performance. I mean, that's sure. what I do. Sometimes you know, I have to work harder for a smaller room because it's, you know, it's kind of easy to feed off the energy of a large room. You, you know, you got to work a small room. You really have to 
give them your best. Yeah, I agree. I'm of the opinion that front men, the, the talent to be a front man is basically God-given. You either have it or you don't, you know. There has to be some kind of a talent or a gene inside of you that is so comfortable being that confident in front of however big the, the crowd is, not everyone has that. And even if they did, they may not have the look or the body or the voice or the sound or the attitude. And a true frontman, the Mick Jaggers, the Jack Whites, the whatever you want to say, they've got all of that in one package. And that's not really something you learn. I think that's something you're kind of born with and you realize you've got it and then you work it. The, the point of me asking all of that is that did you ever – and here's the weird question. Did you ever find when you were in regular life, like maybe when the A's ended, or even if during the A's you had to have a regular job because you were, you know, the A's weren't paying all the bills or whatever, did it ever, you know, work against you? I wouldn't be surprised if somebody with as much moxie as you have would have a really hard time sitting in a cubicle all day at work or something. Does that make sense? It, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but for me, it's like I'm pretty laid back and quiet and kind of shy. You know, I'm, I'm I've been working for years and getting over being shy and stuff like that. You know, I can be a little socially awkward and things in uh, like party situations, things like that. But sure. you know, when I'm on stage, that's my release for all that stuff. I can't control everything, but I have a lot more control over that than I, I do in my real yeah. life. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, part of, you know, being a front man is you got to be fearless. you got to be, you yeah. know, you got to not be afraid to make mistakes. And I've made plenty of mistakes. You know, I've fallen off stages, you know, and, <laughs> you know, you, you just, you just, you know, you got to learn from that, but you, yeah. you just have to not have fear and you can't have fear about, you know, opening yourself up, being vulnerable. Right. I mean, you can't just be like swagger all the time. There has to be something that yeah. draws people in as well. Sure. I have a feeling even when you were making those mistakes, you were making them with style because you're, you well, seem yeah, like that kind I, of guy <laughs> falling off the stage. You could do that and you could make it look cool. You know, I would make a big deal about crawling back up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Work it to your advantage. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do you look back on the A's? We're going to talk about peace groups. I don't want to make this all about the A's, but I'm kind of going in order here. I mean, how do you look back on the A's? Because when I listen, when I look back at it, and I listen to the music, and I'm thinking what the times are, and there's only two albums, I think the thing that comes to my mind is kind of unfinished business, you know? But I don't. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there. Maybe you. Maybe you're at peace with it all. I don't know. Well, for years it was. Uh... Um, truthfully, it was kind of like, you know, it, it was just like the band that I was in that failed, you know. Um, yeah. I, I had, a, you know, I had a hard time, you know, embracing the A's. We got back together to do, uh, actually, the Hooters wanted us to open a show with them. You know, we did that, and, you know, we were getting, like, emails from you know, people were coming from California, you know, all across yeah. the country, people were coming to see us. It was only then that I realized how important we were in people's lives. You know, not yeah. everyone's life, but in some people's lives, we were very important. You know, then I could look back at that stuff and, you know, really be proud of uh, what we sure. did. 
was there a period there before that happened that you had conflicted feelings about it? I mean, you say it's the band that failed. What feeds those kinds of thinking? Is it is it a thought of we didn't do well enough? The music yeah, wasn't I just good enough. We should have been, I think we should have been bigger than we were. I think well, we you should were have talented I mean, enough, and um, you know, and I think we could have gone on for a long time uh, yeah. had we had some, you know, some kind of financial success. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I'm wondering how much of the onus of that failure do you put on yourself? Because, I mean, honestly, I talked to the whole crux of this podcast is to talk to people who, you know, deserve more attention. And so often I'm talking to people kind of in your same situation. They put out that one great album or whatever, had one big hit, and then it went away. And a lot of the time what makes it end is something political, like a label issue or, you know, some dynamic of whoever the boss is inside the label that has nothing to do with them. But it sounds like, I mean, maybe I'm projecting, but are you carrying some kind of, were you carrying some kind of, you know, some baggage around maybe you personally not doing enough? Now, you know what? I never felt that it was my fault. You know, okay, maybe good. I'm just like crazy like that. But I no, just, you know, I, I felt like, you know, my whole thing for years was the ball took a funny bounce. You know, yeah. and, okay. and, and you know, yeah. some things are just out of your control. You know, there's things yeah. that I can control and things that I can't. And I think the things that I could control, I did to the best of my ability. Good. Okay. Good. That's that's what I that's what I think too. I don't even know you though. But then when I listen back, I don't know how anyone could look at those two albums and just think, well, they weren't quite good enough. I mean, that's impossible. They're perfect. What were some of the other songs? I mean, you know, what what were you hearing on the radio? Were you you obviously were getting a lot of love in Philly, but when you were in other places opening for whoever, Peter Tosh of all people, my gosh, we opened for the Talking ever... Heads a few times too. That you did the Talking Heads? Oh yeah, uh huh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh wow. Um, and they I were mean, all were sweethearts. Do... They were great. Good. Oh good. Even though they don't like each other now, but that's good. Okay. No. <laughs> right on. Well, so were you ever, you know, somewhere in New York City or D.C. or wherever and hearing something on the radio? What got played on the radio back then of yours? During the first record they played um, after last night, um, pretty much that was the, the only one. And oh, really? the second, second one was, you know, Woman's Got the Power. Sure. Were there not ever second singles? I say that because when I, you know, I, I see a lot of... Um, you guys always seem to perform like words in your mm-hmm. in your shows. When I talk to you, I know you don't listen. Not even when I shout out my words. You think you're so smart. That's why you dismiss them. I didn't know if that stuff actually made it to the made it to the uh, radio. Or yeah, we did. We uh, we 
in the first record, I know, I know that uh, in local radio, you know, they would play Words, they would play CIA. Come to the end, come to an end, and um, now I read in one of the articles that I was researching you with. It sounds like, and I don't know if you've changed your tune because I think this was an older article. Are you? Do you not talk about why the band came to an end? Well, it just came to an end because it was really not financially feasible anymore. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, and we. You know, when we were just, like, supporting ourselves, we could go through some, like, rough spots. But we ended up having, like, an organization that was dependent upon us bringing money in to pay everywhere. Sure. Sure. And, um, you know, we all always had this thing called the FQ, the fun quotient. And at some point it became, you know, more like a job and not so much fun. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that that is also one of the things that, like, colored my, you know, vision for years about the band you know, with just feeling like it was a, you know, a band that failed. Mm. Gosh. Did Arista drop you? Did they want uh, to yes. invest in a third mm-hmm. al- Okay, they, so they dropped you after the second album, and right. you're probably dejected. Did you guys stick it out in hopes of, like, um, yeah, we, you know, we getting signed again? Yeah, we did an EP on our own. I, oh, that, uh, four dances, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know a man's That got uh, pretty decent play in Philly, anyway. With, with uh, okay. "Do the Dance" was a pretty pretty big song. Okay, good. I don't know that one as well because it's not online. I'd have I'll have uh-huh. to find it. So you could probably for a while there maintain a. I mean, I'm assuming during this whole time that music is your 
your primary job, right? That's even yes. though you're not making mm-hmm. money, you're not also carrying a day job. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing even when the AIDS end, you're still based on your local uh, popularity. You could probably play out in Philly for a while after that, right? Um, yeah, I, I, the way I remember it is I took some time off and then uh, I started playing again and, you know, in different, uh, you know, configurations. And at one point, um, before I started the Peace Creeps, I had stopped playing out for like 11 years. Really? Yeah, that was like what my longest you, period. What do you do in that time? What does a, what does a rock star as excellent and charismatic as you, do, as you are what do you do for those 11 years? Well, I did whatever I had to to make money, and I you know, kept writing and recording the whole time. And then when I thought I had enough of stuff that was you know, good enough to go out and support again, I decided you know, to you know, put a real band together and, and go out and do that. Mm-hmm. And that's Peace Creep? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. We talk. One of the focuses of the podcast is to talk about a little bit of, on that money side, um, not uncomfortably or you know insensitively, but you know when you, I'm assume when you know when the A's come to an end, and you're back in Philly in your apartment, and it's over. When you wake up that morning, what do you what do you do? Do you get a job? Do you? Um, yeah, I think. Uh, what do you do for a while? You know, um, I, I worked in a coffee shop for a while, and you did. You know, I just yeah, and I did. I, I did a lot of. I actually took a lot of jobs that were not steady jobs. You know, I would do a lot of driving for festivals, and um, I would decorate malls for Christmas and things like that, so yeah. that I could just like make a chunk of money and. Sure. Um, leave my time open, you know, for yes. you know music yep. stuff, and yep. um, and I, you know, I learned to live very frugally. And that we do what we got to do. So what? Uh, now, okay. So one of the videos I was watching was a reunion show that you did in 1987, and okay. you still look. <laughs> I don't know. It's online. You should look into this stuff, Richard. It's crazy. There's so much stuff of you out there. So I'm watching this reunion gig of yours from 1987, and you've got your Richard Marks hair, 
and you're oh, wearing, right, right. Yes, you know, and kind of like a shiny <laughs> shirt and all that kind of stuff, and you're working the gum like you do, but you look great. I mean, it's been six years since an A's album came out, and you still look amazing. And I'm just thinking, what is that guy? What's the guy who's fronting this band right now? What's he been doing that keeps that you just you come back on stage after six years and it's all still there, you know, and I guess this is it. You've been you were doing whatever jobs you had to do to kind of stay stay viable, to be able to pay your bills. And yeah, and I think I, I I was uh, playing in in bands in between that time also. Okay, that's you what know, I kinda wanted to know. Up, I didn't know yeah. if there were uh-huh. other uh, there were other ventures that maybe never got off the ground, but there was hopes, you know? Okay. Okay. Did you stay close with your other bandmates in the A's, or was there some animosity there? Um, I uh, I stayed most close with Rocco because we, you know, continued to write together for a while okay. after the A's, and he was involved in a couple of the bands that uh, I was in. Um, and um, but I, you know, I always stayed close to Mikey, the drummer, Mikey Snyder, because he's just a wonderful guy, and and uh, Rick Defonso. The guitar player, we were, you know, always go up uh, for his Christmas party and all that stuff, and he helped me demo some things. And uh, I didn't really stay that close to Terry because he lives farther away, and okay. he, um, you know, he's he's a pretty private person. Oh, okay. So when did the Peace Creeps become a thing? I mean, if you're doing these other you're kind of starting and stopping other bands after the end of the A's. Nothing's quite taking off. What was, when did the peace creeps become the thing that you decide this, I can, this, this is going to work. This I can do, you know, this guy. Well, in the, in the time that I uh, took off, I was, um, I was writing with a new writing partner, AJ McLaughlin. And probably before I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it was before um, I stopped playing out. But okay. uh, and I was working with uh, Johnny uh, Marciano, the guitar player from the Peace Creeps, before mm-hmm. uh, I stopped playing. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, it just got to not be so much fun at at some point. Mm-hmm. So I stopped. You know, I didn't plan. I didn't know how long I was stopping for. I just didn't feel like doing it for a while. Yeah. But I, you know, I kept writing and recording, and I thought I had, but I was on to something. Um, and then, uh, you know, we just wanted to get out and support it. Yeah. But it was worth, worth you know, playing in front of people again. And, you know, to tell you the truth, I think I'm, you know, I think I'm better now than I ever was. You know, yeah. I'm that, that my writing is better.
lot of things I learned not to do. You know? Good. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, uh, I'm, you know, I enjoy, Still got I enjoy it. getting up there every night because it's, it's you know, it's always yeah. a little bit new and it's, yeah. it's fun. That's amazing. For anyone who is listening, who's familiar with the A's but doesn't know Peace Creeps, it's got to be said that your voice has not diminished in the slightest. Not in the slightest. And you've got to be in your 60s at this point. And your yes, voice sounds just right. <laughs> well, and you're still, the word that keeps coming to mind when I describe, when I think of your voice, it's snotty. And that's because it's full of so much attitude, you know. It's great and it's full of attitude. And you're a 60-whatever-year-old man and haven't lost a speck of the snot. It's still there and it's still killer. And and the the voice is good, the musicianship is good, the stage presence is good. So but Peace Creeps is a, still a great band. It's slightly more kind of psychedelic rock, right? Yeah, it's, it kind it's of more, a yeah, bit. more um late sixties, early seventies, you know, British you know, we love the Beatles, you know, that, you know, and we wear, tend to wear our influences more on our mm. sleeve than the A's did. Like, for me, 1968 was just, like, the best year for music. Yeah. You know, I, I don't yeah. know exactly why, but, you know, I was in high school, whatever, and, yeah. you know, I just, uh, you know, from Miles Davis to the Beatles to, you know, the Kinks, you know, all that, um, the Love and Spoonful, Sure. You know, I think that was just a great time period. Yeah. And so, you know, I originally just wanted to sort of capture that. And, um, you know, so we're, we're just about finished our third uh, CD now. Like I, 
that I'm, I play the music that I love, and yeah, you know, I just have a, a ball doing it. That's you know, that's really good. you know somehow I've managed to you know for good or bad. Yes, stay, stay I'm that, so glad. I can honestly tell you because I like I say I talk to a lot of people in your situation, and they'll send me their new music, and it's okay, but it's a, you know it's a shade or two off what you wish it would be or what you know the glory days or whatever. And that is not the case with the Peace Creeps or with you, and I was really glad oh, to hear that. thank you. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, you know, going back to it, the Peace Creeps, do you get played on Philly radio or? Um, we, yeah, we, we do a little bit. We On uh, WXPN, they'll play us. And, yes. Um, once in a while, we'll get played on, like, MMR, but not that often. Okay. Um, what gets but, played? I don't even know what the Peace Creeps singles are. Forget what they played on the first record, to tell you the truth. But on uh, the on Time Machine, they play um, Fashions for the Fall. How often, so is this becoming a full-time thing? I don't even know. How often do you play? I assume um, you play mostly play silly. Not that, you know, not that much, you know, two, usually two times a month. This last, you know, okay. month we played like three times. And, you know, I, I you know, I play with uh, Davey uh, Wasikinen, um with the, uh-huh. the Hooters that, when that in the I've pocket. I've never known how to like pronounce a, his last name. Say yeah. it for me again. Wasikinen. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, I hear it a million ways. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, exactly what the right pronunciation is. Right, they're, they're right. All, they're okay. all, you know, as long as you're close, they're all acceptable to Dave. Okay. And and well, that's good. always fun, you know, because, um, you know, I, then I get to do that, you know, I get to do Woman's Got the Power and whatever. And, uh, you know, I get that stuff out of my system. And I, you know, and I'm not wearing a guitar or anything like that. But I enjoy playing guitar and, you know, I'm, I'm having a good time with the with the Good. Team. How many people, what kind of crowds can you attract? I'm assuming at this point you've got a real legacy that you've built up there in Philly where people are going to, I assume you play A's songs? I don't know. Maybe nope. you differ. No, know. it's all no. Peace Creeps. Okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, when I, we, start, we first started out, we would do a few A songs, but uh, okay. at some point it just, you know, wasn't working. You know, it just uh, oh. was too, you know, it wasn't really the Peace Creeps. Is that because of different energy levels, different vibes? There, 
not psychedelic enough. They don't fit into yeah, what, true, you know, what, true. what the, what the, these creeps are. Yeah. Um, you know, we would try to color them, you know, our way. We didn't do like, we never did like, uh, we never tried to do, um, you know, uh, an A's version of it. We, you yeah, know, we would true. always try to make it uh, as if the peace creeps were doing it. But, you know, at some point it just became, you know, kind of yeah. silly. It just felt, sure. you know, silly to do that. Okay. And then, you know, and then if I needed to get it out of my system or if people really wanted to see that stuff, they could come, you know, either catch an age reunion or, you know, see the in-the-pocket thing. Yeah. Don't you guys do, like, an annual reunion? Because there was something, I, hopefully, tell me, you can correct me. There was something called the Last Dance or something Yes, uh, a yeah, couple we, years ago, uh, and it went so well that you just kept doing it, so it's not the, yeah, really we, the Last we, Dance anymore. I think we did... Uh, Two after that, I'm not sure. Maybe one, maybe it just seems like two. And, and there's talk, of, you know, of another one, uh, but uh, nothing is, you know, written in stone. Yeah. Um, I think everybody is up for it if uh, it becomes financially feasible. Okay. And that's the original guys? Oh, Most yeah. Most of them. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it's all of them. Okay. Wow. Maybe your head is just so comfortably in the peace creeps, is that what brings you more pleasure is kind of focusing and playing and writing for and creating for the peace creeps? Are the A's kind of not, I don't mean to disparage them when I say this, but is it kind of like old news sort of in the rear view? Yeah, that's no, not no, really... no, I, 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 I would never disparage, you know, what we right. did. I, you know, I, I've come to realize that it really, you know, it was, you know, it was something, you know, it was uh, yeah. You know, and it brought a lot, you know a lot of people some joy, and it was a good band, and it, and we have you know a legacy, um, but you know it is you know my past, um, yeah. and I'm yeah. you know I'm okay. not I'm not one to really repeat myself. I like to reinvent okay. myself. It's like you know my my favorite artists are you know the ones who have like a, a long career and they don't do the same painting over and yes. over again or the same yeah. music over and over again. Like you know, I I, I want it to, to be fresh, you know, and yeah. you know sometimes people will come along with it and sometimes they won't. But you know, I think it's more important to me to keep moving forward. I don't want to be treading okay. water. Got it. Okay. I'm always curious of a about an artist in your situation. Is it what drives you more, looking forward or trying to recapture some you know bottled magic from the past? And it sounds like you're. You're fine moving forward and having the occasional A's reunion gig, and the other guys probably all are too, right? Um, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I'm de- okay. you know, I definitely, you know, don't have no hint or of, an, of recapturing the past. It's just like that's okay. not, you know, what I want to do. Um, yeah. I, you know, if the A's were, you know, if we were offered a lot of money to like be the full-time A's again, I don't know that I would really want to do that. I, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've done that, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, somebody that I used to date or something, you know, yeah, exactly. I, it was, all, it was yeah. great, but you know, I don't know if I want to be in that situation again. So again, going back to kind of the, the money or more practical side of this, I assume peace creeps isn't enough that that could be your primary job. No. Yeah, what do you do? Okay, what do you do? What's your what's your day? What's a day in the life of Richard Bush? Well, I have you know some money um, put away, and I you know I take whatever odd jobs I can to you know 
make some money um, okay. so they can have uh, as much free time as possible. Sure. Are they mostly music-related jobs, or is it kind of like before, just anything and everything that makes sense? Yeah, kind of anything and everything. I, you know, I do a lot of festival work and things oh, like cool. that. Driven a bunch of people around. I, did, um, I drove Miles Davis once, and you know, nobody drives Miles, but his uh, his limo guy. But he was called away, you know, on a family emergency, and wow. I had to, to drive Miles in my van and. You know, he was kind of frail. I picked him up and put him in the van. And, really? Uh, oh, yeah, it was great because he was with his manager and, you know, and he had, went to pick, you know, put him in the back seat there. And yeah. uh, he's like, oh, no, man, I, I'll sit up with you. So <laughs> so I put him up there. And, and I got to tell you, I've seen Miles, I don't know, like eight times maybe. We always used to joke, you know, because he would – walk around playing the trumpet, you know, and just like, you know, turn his back on the audience and just like wander the stage. And we used to say, well, Miles is just looking for a place to get down, you know. Yeah. And, but that night he, he, he found that place. He just like yeah. playing the most and the best I'd ever heard him. And he just no like, way. you know, pointed his trumpet bell toward the floor and kept crouching and crouching and crouching until the bell was touching the floor. And he was just like on really? fire Wow. And he was he was he looked great. He had you know the extent hair extensions, and he had sure. this, like um, color patchwork shirt, and he had these pants that were like I've never seen material like it before or since. It, they were like they were like flowed like silk, but they were like a mirror. You could comb your hair and really? I never saw material like it and. You know, so I'm driving Miles, and I was, I was telling him, you know, oh, Miles, you know, you were great tonight. He's, oh, thank you, thank you. And he's like, but I used to play this like, place right up here, you know. And he, and, uh, <clears throat> and so I'm saying, Miles, I just got to ask you one thing. And he goes, well, what's that? And he, I said, where'd you get those pants? <laughs> and he goes, oh, I can't tell you that. What? <laughs> no way. Yeah, it was great. Oh man! But I've been, you know, I've been around a lot of people, and yeah. uh, you know, a lot of my big idols. And I got to tell you, Miles was the only person who really gave me that otherworldly feeling, really like, in the presence of something I just can never understand. Sure. You know? Yes. Oh, I can only imagine. I had a collaborator of his on the podcast last year named Randy Hall, and he. Uh-huh. Uh, is friends with Vince uh, on Blank- Wilburn, I believe, is Miles Davis's nephew who does yeah. a lot of his music. And Randy wrote the song "The Man with the Horn" for the oh, Miles mm-hmm. album "Man with the Man with the Horn." Right. And I'll ask you this in a minute too. But at the end of these interviews, I usually ask people what one of their bigger regrets is. And Randy told the story, and you can appreciate this. He was hanging out with Miles in his house, and there was a tape. Miles, this is when Miles was not at his best during the, that kind of dark period in the late 70s, mm-hmm. you know. There was a tape sitting in a, next to a tape player, and Randy was like, "What, Miles, what is this? And he says, oh, that's, that's me and Jimi Hendrix jamming. Then Miles went up and went to the bathroom, and Randy almost stole that tape. <laughs> and he didn't because it was covered in, like, I guess, jelly 
like from a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something. He kept saying it had all this gook all over it. It was really uh, gross. And, and he's like, so I didn't take the tape because it had gook all over it. But now, could you imagine being in possession of the one tape of Jimi Hendrix and Miles Davis playing oh, yeah. with each other? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I always think that's a great story. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Wow. So who, so who else did you – I mean, you were around during a period of music that is beloved by me and many other people. Just that, that pre-MTV period when, like I said earlier, that cross-section when the new wave and the garage and the power pop and the punk is all coming together. Who were you meeting at the time? Do you, do you remember any really, you know – Unique, um, special stories from those days? Well, I know days. we were in the studio with um, Iggy Pop. Um, really? Yeah, recording at the same time. I just missed singing background on one of the songs because the engineer didn't know I was in the building. But, uh, you know, I had some interaction with Iggy. It was great. Oh, and um, we, um, David Bowie was in the studio when we were in. And oh. uh, we just... We used to slip notes under his door, and they were really nice. They were like, you know, dear Mr. Bowie, you know, we you really love your work, and uh-huh. we would uh, really appreciate it if, you know, you could stop by or whatever. And then, you know, we didn't get any answers, so our notes sure. got, like, less polite. <laughs> we were like, you know, dear Dave, you know. And then, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was... Uh, hey, hey, you. Dude. Come he over. Was thin, he was a thin white duke, so we were going, yo, whitey. We're <laughs> oh, man. Did you ever see him, or did he ever... I held the door open for him once when he was walking out. That's about it. Oh, man. Oh. He's my yeah. number one all-time favorite. And uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I try to bring great. him up with most of my uh, guests on here. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, cool. And I well, think we were in with uh, when um, um, Billy Idol was recording, I think it was yes. The Wedding. And, I was hoping you were going to tell um, We also uh, we hung out with Kiss for a while. Yes! <laughs> Love Kiss. And in fact, uh, on the first record, there's a thing, no logos, Gene, because Gene was Gene was designing logos for us. He thought, oh, you guys need a logo. You know, and, um, he designed a logo for you? Yeah, he was like coming up with logos. and But they all kind of looked like Aerosmith's logo. Oh, right. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. Oh, that's classic. Great. By the way, I mean, how bummed are you that your name is, the name of your band was the A's and in the internet era, it is very difficult to Google DAs and not come up with baseball information. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, we we knew that was, you know, going to happen. Not the Internet, but, you know, right. we, 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 we would get, like, uh, at the same time we were out, uh, for, uh, I don't know if you know the Reds from Philly. Um, uh-uh. I don't think they, so. They were, they, were, uh, they were a good band. And... Um, you know, they were they were all, all we would get these like series of articles about the A's versus the Reds because it was like you know two baseball teams. Yeah, names. right, right. Yeah. But, uh, oh man. Uh, well, we just picked the name because uh, you know I keep my records in alphabetical order, and I just want to the first one you saw when you walked into the room. Yes, screw ABBA, right? Aren't they right. first in every? It's always ABBA to ZZ Top. In everyone's right. collection. 
like I'm gonna yeah. I want to take over ABBA. There you go. Nice. Well, uh, so let me ask you: Do you have any regrets? I mean, can you think of a of a thing that sticks out as being especially regretful or anything? Not really. Um, you know, I kind of regret that I wasn't, you know, more financially successful. Well, um, you know, I would love to make a living though. doing this. Yeah. Um, but uh, as far as you know, you know, my art or whatever you want to call it is concerned, I, I really don't. You know, I Good. I think I have always, you know, tried to, you know, push myself and be better. And I, you know, I am really surprised, but I, you know, I might be deluding myself, but I don't think so. That, yeah. you know, I really do think I'm better now than I have ever been. Good. And I'm more comfortable Good. on stage and uh, I'm just having like the best time. You know, I, I actually um, quit drinking uh, like two and a half years ago, which is oh, a little scary, smart. you know, going on yeah. stage, you know, because I, I had grown up in clubs, you know, you just yeah. drink you know, before you go on, get loose, you know. Yeah, sure. And the first, you know, first couple of times that I had to go on, you know, sober, it was a little scary, but, you yeah. know, then I found I just, I love it even good. more. Oh, good. Uh, you can answer this or not answer this if you don't want to, but was that kind of thing, drinking or drugs or anything like that, was that ever, you know, a problem in your life or anything like that? My drinking was, um, really? you know, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the reason I stopped is because I made a bunch of bad decisions and fell down a flight of steps and broke eight ribs and punctured a lung, so. Oh. Like, <laughs> oh. This probably oh. isn't the best idea. Man, and you still sound great. That's that's even more amazing. Like I said, you've got the gift. You still sound okay. great even with all that stuff. When you look well, back, I, on I your really group. think I've been blessed, though. You know, I'm like, you know, totally. um, nothing really terrible has ever happened to me. Good. Um, you know, I've, I've been lucky and uh, been blessed. Good, you have. Um, when you look back on your career, this is the other question I pretty much ask everybody. When you look back on your career, what is just the tastiest, coolest memory that you can think of? Is it the Miles Davis thing? Is it something else? Maybe that. Is it that the peace creeps? Are commanding audience and sounding good. What's the, you know, what's that thing that is just so delicious for you? You know, um, when I look back at the A stuff, my favorite memories are the ones where things went like crazily wrong. You know, um, like uh, like I love that Richie Blackmore's Rainbow gig. I just thought uh-huh. that was uh-huh. the greatest. And then we had a gig, you know, um, before we got signed in this South Jersey club where, you know, a riot broke out and it was just oh, like yeah. wonderful kind of for me, you know, <laughs> I don't know why. You love the chaos. I, I, yeah. I just remember like they stood out, you know, and, and yeah. they were like fun to talk about and relive, you know, and I enjoyed opening for the kinks at the spectrum. I thought that was, Oh, very, right on. You know, you pretty go. cool. Cause the kinks, yeah. I love the kinks. Yeah. Um, you know, I, Ray Davies is a huge influence for me, you know, but it was, you know, the first time on a, a huge stage like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it was kind of weird because I, I felt like I was very tiny. Yeah, you know, I, I can imagine. Like I was really yeah. little, you know, I, yeah. 
It was just weird. That was like yeah. that's the only real recollection I have of of that that gig. Uh, I just felt small. And we yeah. also uh, we when the Phillies won the World Series, we played at that stadium. You know, kind of. Oh, you did? To. Yeah, it was just like somebody said, "Hey, you, you know, you want to come God. down and play?" We said, "Yeah, sure." You know, and right yeah. on. So they were kind Good of good deal. Okay. Well, look, Richard. I just want you to know. I think you're amazing. I love what you have put out into this world creatively. It's made people's lives better. It's made the world a better place. And I was only vaguely familiar with the A's before Steve, the listener, uh, requested you about six months ago. But I dove in deep, and I love it. And it makes me so happy. And so I want you to know that it was a pleasure getting to know your music, and it's a pleasure... It brings me a lot of pleasure. And so on those days, if you ever wonder, you know, did I do any good in the world today? I want you to know there's a guy in Denver that you don't know who gets a <laughs> lot of pleasure out of your music. Well, that's He's great. Happy. You know, I, I um, you know, I really do think I provide a service. I think I make the world a better good. place, you know, not you necessarily do. a whole lot better. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, that what I and other people like me do is like, really important. I agree. I agree. And you've had an effect on maybe it's not a gigantic number of people, but there are people who love you, especially there in Philly, and you've made their lives better, and I'm one of them. So I I just wanted you to know that. All right. Well, thank you, John. Spread the word. I will, man. That's what this is all about. There you have it, Richard Bush. Don't you just want to hug him? I just loved him. I just want to give him a hug. And let him know that I love him and that he's great. Also, I'm looking forward to that third Peace Creeps album. We played a little bit of a demo of a song that they're working on for that album. And uh, I'm excited to hear it. And unlike some of the other people we've talked to on here, both A's albums and both Peace Creeps albums are readily available there on iTunes. I bought all of them. And they are incredible. They're very worth having. I hope you guys, as always, will check out some of these people. And a huge thank you to Steve Poshman for turning me on to an artist, not only for listening to the podcast, but for turning me on to an artist that has now become one of my favorites. I'm going to be following Richard Bush from here on out. So thank you, Steve, for all of it. Also, if you're a Philly listener, you may have heard me mention Tommy Conwell in there earlier on in the interview. Richard graciously put me in contact with Tommy, and Tommy and I are working out a time to talk. So sometime... In the next few weeks, couple of months, an episode will come out of the podcast with Tommy Conwell. And I'm excited for you to hear it. And probably the best thing for you to do then would be to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll know when that comes out. Trust me, you're going to like some of the other episodes too. Even the bands that you don't know, you probably will at least appreciate the conversation we have with them. So subscribe to the podcast, write us a review. You can find me on Facebook. You can communicate with me that way if you want. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us at Twitter, on Twitter, at thehustlepod. Send me recommendations. If you have someone like Steve did that you like and haven't heard from for a long time that you'd like me to have on the show, just send me a note, and I will do my best to track that person down. Also, humongous, as always, thanks to Jan the Man Makevich for producing this podcast. Guys, next week, we will be back next Tuesday with our third installment in this new wave slash power pop bands of the Northeastern United States. 
So please come back next Tuesday for another segment. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you then.